these things. God, well, yeah. I said, do you think you're going to stand before that God and tell him your thoughts or give him a piece of your mind? I've heard that too. I said, do you really think that's going to happen? I said, can you imagine the all, I mean, the person who created all of this and the depths of, of all of this and the things that we don't know, you think you're going to stand before him and say how good you are? I, that to me is, is, is a scary thought. Um, but that's, what, that's why we are putting people's lives and that's why we need to speak up and that's why we need lives that are, are, are shining the light of the Lord. And so that's why we need to have these boundaries. That's why when the, when the enemy's trying to take, we need to have, have boundaries and lines, you know? Um, so the interesting thing here too is that um, he says, I did not deny him. So the first part we see is that Ahab, we know, first is, okay, yeah, have my wives, have my kids. Um, thinking it was uh, not Benny Goodman. That's the, that's the big band. What was the comedian's name? He said, take my wife, please. Uh, anyway, that don't worry about that part. That's just not part of the team, but made me think of it. Anyway, um, so the first issue here we see they have is compromise, right? He's compromising for the sake of peace. Um, I know in my life, honestly, there's been times where, you know, I kind of pick and choose my battles just so there's peace in the house. You know, I know nobody else has done that, but that's something I've done. Um, you know, and, and looking back, there's some areas where I'm like, man, I know, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. Um, and there's other times where it's like, you know what, that was the Lord <laughs> because I wanted to fight. Um, but, you know, but we see here that Ahab was willing to compromise for the sake of peace, the sake of contentment, the sake for, uh, for the sake of his own being. Um, but it's interesting is that when Ben-Hadad came back and wanted more, that's when Ahab felt the sting. You know, and I think... For me, that's where I've got to look at and say, you know, when I do feel the sting of something, well, what got me to that point? Like, I shouldn't have felt the sting. That what was my game plan? What was my parameters? What was my boundaries before that that were that were um, penetrated? That were were compromised for me to even be at that point to feel that that sting. Um, so that's just something to think about. Where do, where are our boundaries in our lives um, with things in in life? You know, we all know what we struggle with. And oftentimes that's in the forefront, but what about everything else? Sometimes a lot of those things are connected. We get so um, uh, tunnel vision that we don't see the, the outer picture. You know, um, I've shared before, and this is a little more of a, a dramatic um, example, but I think it's the truth of the matter is that, you know, I, uh, with the addictions program I worked in, there was a guy who had a heroin issue, but he said, I'm an alcoholic. And, and he said, even though my issue is heroin, he said, when I drink beer, when I drink alcohol, that leads me to heroin. He said, I don't really have an issue with alcohol. I have a heroin addiction. But because of that, I'm an alcoholic. And I thought that was the first time I heard something like that years ago. And I thought, that's interesting because that's the gateway, right? So we shouldn't be thinking of the thing there. What's happening with the walls around us? You know, where are the walls that, that we should be putting spiritually, physically, emotionally, that are important for us to stay not only safe and healthy, but to bring God honor and glory. So in, in verse 8, he says, And all the elders and all the people um, said to him, <laughs> Do not listen or consent. Well, you would think that would be the natural answer, right? I mean, that's, that, would be, that would be my uh, response as well. And, you know, it's interesting, too, with how Ahab was. It, this is like one of the, we'll see glimpses of, uh, glimpses of it throughout. Um, and if you do a study on his life, but 
this is one of the times where you see that he's actually humbling himself to listen to somebody else. Usually somebody who's in this position is not humbling themselves to take counsel from others. Um, in the sense of, you know, the good kings would. But as we see, Ahab is not a good king. As, as God even said himself, he did evil in his sight and he provoked him more than any other king before him. Um, but he consulted his elders. elders. So in Proverbs fifteen twenty two it says, without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Proverbs 1, 5 says, a wise man will hear and increase learning and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. And in Proverbs 24, 6, it says, in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. There is definitely a, a theme here that God's saying that's important to have good counsel. Um, but we obviously know that there's no better counsel than the Lord, right? I mean, that's, I believe that we should be ultimately going to the Lord first. Um, and then ultimately our answer should be from the Lord as well. Proverbs 19.21 says, There are many plans in a man's heart, nevertheless the Lord's counsel, that will stand. So here's a couple of questions I would ask you for yourself. This is a lot of, this, this teaching is going to be a lot of self-reflection, a lot of, hmm, you know, let me, let me think about my life. Let me sit down and, and even just plot it out. But so number one, do you have a circle of trusted and godly counselors? Um, I know there's some people who are wired to be, uh, and I'm not saying this in a negative way, but lone rangers. Um, you're, you're wired to be kind of off on your own. Um, to do your own thing. Well, I think differently, or, and we justify it to ourselves. And it's okay to have alone time. I'm not saying that you have to be engrossed. I know there's some people who, too much socialization, then they're just like freaking out. It just overloads them. And I get that. Um, trust me, I, I grew up in a small house, and then having four boys was overloading to me, <laughs> overwhelming. But I love them, and their therapist can help them with the rest. Um, so, number one, do you have a circle of counselors? But more importantly, does their counsel match up to the word of God? So it's not just good people or good smart people. Do you have godly people who are surrounding you that you can go to for counsel? That you go to that whatever they say will match up with the word of God. That you go to that sometimes the best thing is say, okay, let's pray. Sometimes the best things are that. There was a pastor, actually uh, one of... Uh, Pastor Joe's assistant, his name is Jerry Paradise. It's funny that he would always say, well, did you pray about that? Um, one of my buddies up north, um, who was a pastor up there, would go, to, anytime he talked to Jerry, he said, you know, I get the same thing. I know what I'm going to get from him. He said, but I still go to him anyway. Because I know the answer is, well, did you pray about it? Let's pray. And I think sometimes that's the, the best. I think, not sometimes, every time that's the best answer, you know. Because in that prayer time, you get that counsel, you get that... Um, that's still that quiet voice speaking to you. Um, but it's very important. And then here's the question. So not only the outside, right? So do you have a circle of counselors? Do you have, do they, are they godly? Are they matching up to the word of God? But then looking at yourself, are you humble enough to receive it? Or do you know it all? Do you know it all? I mean, I think there's people who say, no, I don't know it all, but they, they know it all. And you hear about them knowing it all. So with that, it's having that humility to be able to listen to what they're saying, you know, because God uses the people in our lives. He has, you know, it's not, it's not just by coincidence that each one of us sitting here are sitting here. 
you know, we are all here for a purpose. As we know in our fellowship time in the back, afterwards we're eating and all that. And, you know, I don't think, I don't always sit with the same people, but there's purpose in where the Lord orchestrates people sitting together for a reason, to be ministered to, to, to be able to encourage, to pray with, um, to laugh with. I think that's one of God's greatest tools. I love to laugh. And um, it, I just think it's, you know, what a blessing it is. Um, I know some churches, it's like a sin to laugh. And I'm like, what the, I don't get it. But, um, and I don't do well in those churches. Um, that's why I'm here. So anyway, um, but it's important to understand that we are here together as a, a body, as a family for a purpose. So in that, are you able to receive when somebody's telling you something? Um, I'll, honestly, I struggle with that. I've struggled with that in my life where I've, you know, oh, I already know this, I already know that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then what somebody's telling me, I almost get annoyed. And it still creeps in every once in a while, um, honestly. But I've tried to, I've, in this process as we're talking about, I've had to take times where I step back and say, okay, I need to have ears to hear. I need to have ears to, to, to glean from my brother or my sister who have wisdom that, that maybe that I don't have, perspective that I don't have. Um, and I think it's very important. So it's that humility to do that. Um, but like I said, initially, initially and ultimately, your counsel needs to be of the Lord. It needs to come from the Lord um, because he is not going to let us down. And what's interesting, too, is, you know, you, you should continue to seek until the answer comes. Um, I was at a church a couple weeks ago, and the pastor outlined how to pray for people. And I, I, I enjoyed that. I liked it. Um, and he, he, he gave some, I think it was like seven steps. I'm not going to give you all of them. But the idea was um, in that as you're praying for the person, you're praying not only to bind the strong man because, you know, the enemy wants to keep us in where we are and just, you know, to remove those things and to bring up anything that's in our lives that shouldn't be there, to remove that so then we can stand before God empty and say, okay, Lord, you know, here's my request. Here's what I desire. Um, and then to be there in prayer until that answer comes. Now, you might initially think, oh my goodness, for some of you who are schedule keepers and, and, and your minds go in that direction, but the idea to be there in prayer until God brings that answer. Now, if that person has to leave or whatever the case is, it's on that person who's come for prayer to then continue on praying and praying until that comes. They go home, they're in prayer. They're in their daily life, they're in prayer. They continue to seek God until that answer comes because we know in, in God's timing, you know, it's perfect. And so therefore, it's not always like, okay, I'm coming right now for an answer. I'm coming to church right now for an answer. And God's going to give me the answer. Well, his answer might be, wait, keep seeking, keep following after me. Just, just bask in my goodness. Keep trusting in me. But we're to continually keep coming to him. And that's why there's no better counsel than the Lord God. But we can all attest that the Lord's put people in our lives too, to be a blessing and, and great counsel. So in verse 9, let's go back to our text. Verse 9. Therefore he, Ahab, said to the messengers of Ben-Hadad, tell my lord the king, all that you sent uh, for to your servant the first time, I will do. But this I cannot do. So the messengers departed and brought back word to him, Ben-Hadad. Then Ben-Hadad sent to him and said, the gods do to me so... <laughs> The gods do so to me, and more also, if enough dust is left 
of Samaria for a handful for each of the people who follow me. So this threat from Ben-Hadad, it kind of sounds like Jezebel's threat earlier, right? Like, I think that was a thing, like, you know, that's what's done to you, you know, if, anyway, it's, it's interesting how it, that's, that's the phraseology, but basically Ben-Hadad is not happy about the answer. He's saying, okay, I hope there's no dust left for even there be enough for each person to have in their hand when I'm done with Samaria. So verse 11, the king of Israel answered and said, tell him, let no one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. This is kind of a gutsy actually response. So it's surprising that Ahab is <laughs> the cowardly king is actually uh, talking back here. And so it happened when Ben-Hadad heard this message as he and the kings were drinking at the command post, they said to his servants, get ready. Um, and they got ready to attack the city. So we're kind of at a crossroads, right? So this is really in scripture, the first time we're seeing Ahab kind of stand up to the enemy, stand up to um, the, the, this, uh, this king who wants to take it all from him. Um, so he's at a, 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 a proverbial crossroads, as it were, you know, what, what's next, right? Um, so he's, he's kind of taking it step by step, seemingly, um, Council told him to stand his ground, but now what? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, logically it would be okay. I guess we get ready to fight. Um, but what's interesting is that in this point, and I think for us as believers, is that, you know, there's times where God will remove us from a situation to protect us or to rescue us. But there's also times, as we know, God sends us a pretty big life jacket, right? Storm's coming. Lord, you can calm the seas. You can calm it. Okay, peace be still. The seas calm. And there's other times, Lord, you can calm the storm. He said, I can calm the storm in your heart. Throws us that life jacket. And we still go through that storm. We still go through that tribulation, that trial. But he didn't stop it. I mean, I, I hope all of you have experienced this, but if not, continue to see God where you've been in such a trial that the trial hasn't stopped, but you have such a peace that surpasses all understanding that the only thing you can say is, this is God. To me, this is something that even... Um, even more validates and solidifies and whatever word you want to use that God is alive. You know, as I've said before, I get excited about that because I grew up in religion and it was just words in a book and he didn't see it in people's lives. And when this stuff is like, when you, when you, when you experience what God says you can have, you can hold on to that this is reality. It's not just what I did for Peter. It's not just what I did for, you know, my disciples. It's, this is stuff that you guys can have as well. This is not stuff that just happened thousands of years ago, and God's not doing it anymore. God is still healing. God is still working lives. God is still alive. And to me, that's exciting because there's a world out there who says, oh, you're one of those, or oh, you're a Bible. But no, I love Jesus. It has nothing to do about me spitting out scriptures. It has nothing to do with me being right. We're always fighting to be right that people are dying because we're so right. We're dead right. It's about God being alive in our lives and us not having to even sometimes say it you know, I was talking with somebody. There's been times where being in instances, you've walked up to a group of people and they sent your peace and you might not even say anything and they're using foul language and they all of a sudden say to you, oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that word. Forgive me. And when we haven't said a word because the peace of God is not only in us, it's around us, it surrounds us. So with that, Ahab's in this spot where he's saying, what's next, right? 
And this is what I love, verse 13, suddenly. And we know with God, there's nothing suddenly. With us, it's suddenly. A lot of times it's like, all right, Lord, did you, you know I have to get this, uh, this bill paid like soon, right? Lord, you know I need an answer to this other prayer soon, right? You know, like, and Lord's saying, relax. I got it. I got it. So to us, oftentimes it is suddenly, or maybe we might say finally. <laughs> but thankfully to us, it's only suddenly. To God, he has it all plotted out. He already knows. That's why he says for us to trust him. That's why he says for us to rest in him because he's got it. He knows. And it's just for us to faithfully walk alongside him in that. So it says, verse 13, suddenly a prophet approached Ahab, king of Israel, saying, thus says the Lord, have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver it into your hand today and you shall know that I am the Lord. Throughout the Old Testament, we see this God saying this to his people. You'll know that I am God by what I do. And he still does this today. People are just blind to see it. You know, that's one of the things, and, you know, one of my sons is in here. Um, but my purpose a lot of times when I tell my boys about, um, you know, the things that God's doing in my life. I didn't have that growing up, number one. But I also want them to have a, pers- a perspective of God all around, not just in church, not just they go to a Christian school when they're hearing in their Christian school, um, not just, you know, I don't want it just to be words to them. I want them to know the times when I was really struggling with something, and God sent somebody that came up to me and said, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but God laid this on my heart to tell you, because that was the Lord. That's the Lord's love for me, care for me. That's God being alive to me, you know, and they know the story of me coming down here. This, that was completely God. You know, a job called me that I didn't apply for. You know, it took, uh, it took a long time to, for that door to open. But it was, it was orchestrating that it was God, not me. You know, um, and there's so many amazing details. And there's so many cool things that God has done to show me that he's real, to show me he's alive, to show me that he is strong in my life. And we know that the Lord loves to show himself strong to his people. Second uh, Chronicles 16.9 tells us, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And actually, he said this to King Asa, who was the king of Judah and Benjamin, at the same time that Ahab was king. And Asa had ears to hear. And he, he there's a cool story there if you want to read that in, in, in First Kings as well, um, seeing his heart. And the difference of how God... You know, we know God is the one who allows people to be in these positions and how you can have somebody who hears the word of God and, and, and responds and another one who doesn't really do that. Exodus fourteen, thirteen and 14, you guys probably know this. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, the enemy, this, this, this daunting army, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Verse 14, so Ahab said, by whom? So now this, the prophet comes and says, God's gonna do this work. He's gonna deliver them into your hand. Do you remember in Ezekiel when we looked at that? I don't remember when it was now, months ago. We looked at Ezekiel and dry bones, right? And God says, hey, Speak to these bones. You know, can these bones live, God said to Ezekiel. And Ezekiel gave the right answer. He said, only you know, God. 
And, 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 and you could see Ezekiel had a, a strong faith in God in the way that he responded, in the way that he just was obedient. Only you know, God, if this, this pile of bones can be anything. And God said, then speak to them. Ezekiel did everything that God told him to do. So then God created this huge army from dry bones to this army of, of flesh-filled standing human beings in front of him. And then God said, breathe into them. And the, the breath of God went into them and became an exceedingly great army. Ezekiel had a different relationship than Ahab did. Ahab's questioning each part of the way. So now God says, I'm going to deliver this into your hand. And Ahab says, by whom? So there's a contrast here, right? So I, and, and just seeing in that, I see that Ahab's relationship with God is very evident that it's non-existent, you know? Um, and this is not judgmental at all, and I, and I hope that everybody would be encouraged because I want you to have the heart of, of, of understand my heart in speaking this, but understand where you are right now. You know, I like to call it holding up a mirror. I, like, I need sometimes to have a mirror hold, held up to me because I could be like, you know, hey, I'm really, I'm looking pretty good, aren't I? And then you hold up a mirror and be like, oh, why didn't anybody tell me I had peanut butter smeared on my face, you know? And it's important to do that. So my point in saying this is that you know, it's, there's been times where I've talked to somebody and it's very evident they didn't have a strong faith in God. They used a lot of God words and Christianese, as we say, but you could tell that their faith wasn't evident. It wasn't strong. It wasn't, it wasn't something that was ingrained in them. And, and that is something that anybody can attain. If you seek God, he's going to be found by you. He desires to have that relationship with you. That even though you could be going through a storm, you still say, but I praise God still, you know? Um, and, and so... To me, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking when I, when I meet somebody like that because they almost, they don't understand even their own, um, maybe they don't understand that they could go deeper. Or maybe they don't understand that they don't have the desire to go deeper. And that's often my prayer. Lord, I pray that they would just put that fire within them. You know, I have family members who are good Christian people, and I'm, I'm not knocking them at all. They know God, and I believe that they are saved, but there's so much more that they could have in their relationship with God. Um, and my heart is burdened for them because it's, you know, the freedom, and I'm sure many of us here, the freedom that we found in Jesus and the depths of Jesus' grace and love and mercy are just overwhelming to me. Um, I just, I still don't get it, and I'm, I still receive it, but I don't get it. I don't understand, understand God's economy, and I'm grateful because I don't want to understand it. All I know is that I'm a wretch, and he saved me, he washed me, he cleansed me, now I'm his son. I mean, that to me is amazing. So um, I think it's important, too, that, you know, you understand that when God says something, you know, Ahab had a, a messenger come to him and give him this word from God. But we have the word of God who says the same things throughout, through, to, to um, different men throughout the scriptures. Does that bring you comfort? Is that truth in your life? You know, we talk about the promises of God because he's got promises in here. We see throughout the Old Testament that his people turn their backs. And he says, if you just turn to me, I will be your God. And then he stirs their hearts to do the work that he wants them to do. I mean, do we know the God of the Bible in that way that we have such a relationship with him that there is no doubt that we do go to him first and foremost? So I, that would be my question to you guys, and it's something that continually, that you, you know, how much are you seeking God? How, much, how deep is your relationship with God? 
And I think the Lord allows the storms and allows the, the trials and tribulations to show you. Because then we all come to that crossroads of, am I going to run to God or am I going to run away from God? Am I going to seek him still or am I going to blame him and just turn my back? I hope we don't do the, the second one, but the blessing is even if we do that, he still says, I will be your God. Just turn to me. How faithful. I mean, how faithful and how long-suffering is God? I, I, I just, it's amazing. It's awesome. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but I think the difference between Ezekiel and Ahab is that one of them had an active, real relationship with the living God, and the other one was only in a position appointed by God. And that's something to, to think about. Because you know, we've talked about this before, you can't trust somebody that you don't really know. It's hard to trust somebody you don't really know. And to have faith in somebody you don't really know is even harder. Trust is built through relationship. And faith grows through that trust. And that's why we see Ahab making, having these questions. So going back to the, the text in 14, and he said... This is the the prophet responding to Ahab. And he said, thus says the Lord, by the young leaders of the provinces. So Ahab has another question. (laughs) Then he said, who will set the battle in order? And I love this answer. And I, I read this a little bit differently than probably how it was said. But the answer is you. I would see it though, like I and maybe because of how I grew up and a little bit of sarcasm. I don't know if you guys realize that or not, but a little bit of sarcasm, a little bit of frustration. If I was a prophet, I probably looked and been like, "You, like, are you not paying attention here? It's you. You're the king. You're the one. You're the one who should be setting these things in order. You should be the one seeking God." I was sitting eating a sandwich, watching TV, and God said, "You got to go up and tell Ahab this because he's not listening." Like, it's you. Get with it, Ahab. He probably didn't say that because it was Ahab and then he's afraid of Jezebel. But anyway, so when I read it, that in my mind, I was like, you, what, the, the answer's clear, you. But the interesting part is that when I hear this you, the you is me. The you is us. The you is each one of you. Where are you in your life where there might be areas where we might have compromised the, the ground that God has given us to be stewards over? And this is where the, the, the contemplation comes apart. This is the place where I would encourage you to pray over. God, is there any areas in my life that I've given over to the enemy? That I've compromised? Well, you don't know, but I'm not doing what I used to do. That's fine. This is not a judgment thing. But is there things, maybe it doesn't have to be a great thing. But maybe there are little things that are, that, are, that you know, uh, you feel that little twinge in your spirit. That maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe I'm compromising here. Um, it's very easy for us to, to, to give up ground on battlefield without realizing it. Um, and it's very important for us to have that spiritual awareness in that sense because the enemy is so, you know, I never struggle with the big things. It was the little things that build up. You know, the enemy knows how each one of us will fall. The enemy knows how each one of us, what will bring us down. The enemy is much older and wiser than we ever can be. The enemy has watched us from the moment we were born. The enemy sees our weaknesses. They see the things that, that tickle our brains and, and draw our eyes and draw our hearts. 
And the enemy is not always going to be this big rhinoceros running down the road looking to knock out anything he can find. Oftentimes, the enemy will be a subtle compromise or a subtle justification of questionable behavior. So this is where you need to look and see where you are on the battlefield. So we see that Ahab consented to the enemy to basically come in and pillage whatever he wanted up until a certain point. Um, And this was all for the sake of peace with the enemy. Um, This is why it's important to have boundaries too because you might have a loved one who maybe not have the same conviction as you and, and you need to be careful because a lot of times they might with say, well, what's the big deal? Um, things that come to mind for me with this. So um, I had family members who the husband was an alcoholic and the wife said, well, why do I have to stop drinking wine? It's his problem. So I'll let that one sit there. So I know somebody who... Uh, uh, somebody who struggled with lust and the, the spouse would still watch movies because why? It's not my issue. I, I, and still watch movies that were questionable that would arouse lustful thoughts in, in that, uh, the other spouse's heart and mind. Um, there's such a balance between legalism and being spirit-filled and spirit-led. We're not doing anything to be legalistic or to be obedient because this is going to bring us better, greater favor with the Lord or because this has anything to do with our salvation. This has to do because we want to honor and glorify God. I'm sure there's some here sitting here that have their examples going through the head. Maybe there's some things that you're like, you know, you'd be kind of like, uh, I, I should get rid of that. But then that's where that thought stayed. Didn't go anywhere else. Um, I've recently done some more purging in my life um, and it's, it's been great, you know, with things that I, I don't think that they were bad necessarily, but I could see how they would lead to other things. And I said, you know, what? I don't want to, this is not going to be in my house. This is not going to happen. So, um, I would encourage you to look at those things at your home, um, you know, and more importantly in your minds, you know, what things are you maybe entertaining in your minds that shouldn't be there? Um, my battlefield was always my mind, always. Whether the enemy was trying to make me feel ashamed and um, beat myself up over things I've done in the past that God says, I don't know what you're talking about, Bill. I've washed this. This is, this is cleansed. This is, this is thrown into the sea. Um, or to put things before my eyes as a man that shouldn't be put before my eyes or, or you know, the list could go on and on and on. Um, and so that's why we need to be looking at, you know, not only where we are in our home, looking at the battlefield there, at work, the battlefield there, but then our minds. Where are our minds? Um, and where is that personal integrity, you know, standing um, before God? But even looking at things like language, you know, or things that even, you know, unforgiveness, bitterness, um, lust, theft of time. Not just theft of possessions, but theft of time. Um, I know Christians who justify at work doing stuff that is of God while their employer is not paying them for that. You know what I mean? I mean, it's where, what level of integrity are you working in in that regard? Um, Colossians 3.8 says, But now you yourselves are to put off all of these, anger, wrath, 
malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Um, Ephesians 4.31 actually adds to this list bitterness. So these are the things that Paul's saying you, you should rid yourselves of these. And there's other lists, but I'm really trying to limit our time. <laughs> and we got a lot more to go. Um, but, but even think of that, forgiveness and bitterness. Hebrews 12.15 says, You look carefully lest anyone falls short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Do you, can you, do you understand that any bitterness that you're holding is actually defiling you? I mean, I know when we stop and think about it, well, yeah, that makes sense. But are you holding on to any bitterness? Unforgiveness? Um, some of you know, I've, I've, I've been on a journey in the last five years, and, and I've recently been more involved in a, uh, um, an inner healing journey. Um, and there was, uh, it was a, a great video I took a lot of notes on that was just like, I was just soaking it in. Um, and there was three things that were being looked at. Number one was forgiving others, right? doesn't matter if they've asked for it, forgiving others. So, you know, so I actually had this time where I was, you know, before the God, verbally saying, you know, I forgive this person for what they did to me. I forgive that person, you know, kind of going through the things. And then some of it, I was like, well, I don't need to say that because that was just small. No, whatever, anything. I forgive Bobby for taking my last piece of gum when I wasn't looking in third grade. You know, like, I might be exaggerating the point a little bit, but you understand what I'm saying. If, if it's in that time, if something's being brought up, you just release it. I forgive that person. Now, honestly, this is not a one and done thing because those things might come back and then you just put them before God again. Okay, I forgive that person. The second piece, and I really struggled with this, was going before God and, and just really telling him, you know, why, you, you know, the things that you were struggling with with him. And as I was praying about it, I'm like, well, I, don't, I know everything has purpose and I know God uses it all. And I know that, you know, and I started like this, realizing that I had this shell, which is truth, right? We know everything has a purpose. We know that God allows things in our lives for a reason. But as I started going into it, then I was like, Lord, but, but why did it have to do this? Why did I have to do that? And I can tell you in that time, there was a lot of weeping and a lot of yelling. And I was in my car and there wasn't anybody around, so thankfully, but, um, and all these things started coming out that I didn't even realize were under the surface. Lord, I don't understand why you had to do this. Why couldn't this been that? Why, why did, and it just got more, sorry guys, it got more excited and excitable in the sense of just all these things that are gushing out. And I wasn't going to hold any of it back. You know, part of my brain was like, no, Bill, you believe everything has purpose. It's okay. You're not upset with God. You're cool. Everything's cool. And the other part of me was like, no, Bill. And then the bills start talking. Anyway, um, so... But that, in that cell, and then that's not where you stay, though. And they say, Lord, please forgive me for having these things against you. Please forgive me for holding these things in my heart that I didn't realize were there. You know, initially, can you imagine saying, oh, I have issue with God? I don't think anyone of us here would actually say that because we know, oh, we wouldn't say that. I mean, how could we say But I think there is, at, at least for me, I didn't know it, but there was. And God brought all this out. He drudged all this sewage out. The third part was, and then standing before him and saying, because 
because I have no ought against my brother or sister and I have forgiven them, because there was nothing between God and I, there was nothing that I was angry at him about or putting before him, I was then in the freedom to be able to forgive myself. At first, when I thought about this process, it seemed weird to me because I'm, I'm just not that person, but I was like, okay, Lord. And I was like, I forgive myself for this. And I forgive myself for that. All these things that the enemy was whispering in my ear, Bill, but you, do you remember that? Shame, guilt, all these things that was continuing on me, things that I would be in prayer about still, knowing God was saying, Bill, I don't know what you're talking about anymore, but still be bringing it up, bringing it up, because the enemy had me churning in this sewage septic tank. And God's work was not being fulfilled in the cleansing of my heart, my soul, and my spirit. In me. He, done the, he had done the work. I had the freedom appointed to me, but I wasn't grabbing hold of it. Those three things in that order, and I believe it should be in that order, brought a freedom. I felt my shoulders drop. You know, I feel like I can't feel, I don't think my shoulders can drop anymore because I've had a couple of instances where my shoulders were like up here and then just, it kind of moved down throughout. And the freedom that I found, a, a new, um, I, a new victory, even though we, all, we have the victory. We're not fighting for victory. We were fighting from victory. But I felt this newness. I felt this cleansing. I felt this release of this burden. And it was amazing. It was amazing to me. And that's why God is so serious about these things. You, know, you must rid yourselves of all these things. If your language is a little bit questionable, you know, why? Why? What's the purpose of it? If you have the lustful thoughts, it doesn't even have to be sensual. I wish I had, you know, the jealousy, the, the, the covetousness, like these things all eat away at the purity that God has for us. They all eat away at the, the, the pureness of the relationship we have with him. And we need to be, we need to be serious about it. So are you even in a place where you're listening to God that when he's speaking to you about these things? You know, if that root of bitterness you become defiled, like that's a serious thing. And there were things I didn't realize I was even bitter about and the Lord brought them up. I don't want to be defiled. And I realized there was a lot of bitterness that was hidden in me that I didn't know was there. So have you allowed the enemy to take ground from you? Externally, your family, those situations, but internally, where's your mind? Where's your relationship with the Lord? Where are you? Are you on the battlefield with the armor of God? Or are you like David who was looking over when he should have been on the battlefield at war with his army, but he was out looking at things that he shouldn't have been looking at that led to egregious sin that affected a nation? Our sin have ripple effects. Everything we do have ripple effects. So I want to look real quick. I'm going to go really fast. Some of you might think I'm already going fast, but... So, going along these lines of, of where we are, I want to look at two people. We'll do it really quickly. In John 5, we're going to see one man. We're going to see the man at the pool of Bethesda. So, in verse 5, he's faced with a question. He says, Now a certain man there had infirmity for 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Notice the question wasn't, do you want help being to be made well? It was, do you want to be well? So the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. 
Um, but while I'm coming, another one steps in before me. I don't have time to go into the background, but um, there's an interesting background to that. But so his answer is, yeah, but, yeah, but. Um, apparently he didn't know the one he was speaking to, which is interesting because most of the people that we see seeking after God, who we don't see anywhere else, knew who he was. But yet this man was saying, well, you know, I, yeah, but I can't get in the pool. No one's, no one's helping me. It's almost like that, woe is me. I'm going to tell you right now, and this might be kind of bold, but forgive me at some point when you go through the steps we just talked about. Um, but if you're an excuse maker while you're not doing what God has called you to do, to be the man or woman that God's called you to do, then shame on you. I say that in much love, but I say that with passion. I've been that man, so that's why I say it with passion. Because I lived a good part of my life not living the way I should have been. And it had a ripple effect to my family. It had a ripple effect to everybody around me. And all I kept saying was, yeah, but nobody will put me in the water. Yeah, but this. Yeah, but that. Us, us humans have the biggest butts, and it's obnoxious. Seriously. And it, it, it needs to stop. The excuses need to stop. And I'm thankful that I had people who would call me out on it. And those were my counsel. I wasn't humble sometimes to hear it. That was on me. And that's why it's important to have that counsel. But he made the excuses and apparently he didn't know the one he was talking to. So Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately, immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. I wonder what this guy, did he, when somebody lives that kind of lifestyle, I know addicts that have lived that lifestyle. It's always somebody else's fault. Why they're using is always somebody else's fault. You're going to kick me out of your house. You're going to put me on the streets. No, you're doing that with your behavior. If you have the proper boundaries, loved ones, you are not kicking them out of the house. They're making the choice to not live under your rules and under your boundaries. But I wonder if this man became a believer or if he continued on in that excuse making. You know? Are you one of those like, well, I can't do that. You know, I used to be crippled for 38 years. So it's hard for me to bend over and pick up that napkin. You know, like, I wonder if he continued on in that excuse-making behavior or if his life was transformed. I I don't know how his life couldn't be transformed by just immediately being healed, but I'm not going to assume because we don't know and the scripture doesn't tell us. So the contrast is we're going to look at the other guy, Matthew 8. In verse 1, we see a leper. He came to uh, and worshiped Jesus, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Dr. Henry Cloud, in his book, Never Go Back, stated basically this point simply he said, Anything of value has this rhythm to it pain first, pay off later. If we face the pain early, the payoff will come. And that's the truth. We know the stories of the different people who sought Jesus for healing. This man sought Jesus. You can do this. If you're willing, you can do this. And Jesus said, I'm willing. Hebrews 12, 11 through 13 says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight the paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. 
So we see these two contrasts of people. One with the excuses, and God still healed him. God still healed him, still made himself, showed himself to this, to this man. And then the one who sought after God. I, I want to be the one that seeks after God. I want to be the one like the, the woman with the issue of blood who, who said, I just want to touch the hem of his garment. I want to be that Roman centurion for his servant who knew his, his life would have been in danger by seeking after Jesus saying, my servant needs to be healed. I want to be that guy who, who doesn't care about the consequences of seeking after God and not fearful of man, not fearful of circumstances, not fearful of loss of income, not fearful of how people are going to look at me or see me or talk about me. I want to be that man who says, I want, I want what God wants for me. I want to seek after him in that way. So to strengthen our faith and, and, and to get to that point to not be where someone has to come to say, this is you, this is your role, like it did to Ahab. Number one, we have to have full reliance. And we know this scripture very well, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. Paul says, as he sought God to remove these thorns, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, it's that humility in our weakness that allows God to be strong in us. So that full reliance we need. Number two, imitate God. Ephesians 5, verse 1, he tells us to be imitators of God. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, and offering a sacrifice for God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Being imitators of God. So the contrast, James 4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's interesting. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God is jealous. He's just not saying, well, don't do these things. He's jealous for our time. He's jealous for our hearts. He's jealous for our minds. You know, that's what it means to have no other God before him. He wants that spot, not because he's saying, I'm God and I should have that spot, even though he rightfully says that. It's because he desires to have that relationship with us. And really, if we have the Spirit of God living in us, we have no excuses, right? Romans 8, 11 says, The Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, dwells in us, that he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit, who dwells in you. Kind of sounds like Ezekiel, right? The dry bones. It's the Spirit of God that did that. Um, so with that, we have no excuses. You know, there's nothing that should be holding us back. You know, there's nothing that we aren't equipped with already. There isn't an army. I mean, right now, you might think we're, we're not many, but we're an army sitting here. We are, our shields should be locked together on the battlefield. And if you don't, if you don't see that, then as Elisha prayed, I pray that the Lord will show you the army that is surrounding us. As there was an army, a multitude of angels surrounding the hills and the mountains. 
for us to see that we are, we are in God's hands. So let's go back real quick to 1 Kings, verse 14, uh, 15, sorry. Ahab, then he mustered the young leaders of the provinces, and there were 232. And after them, he mustered all the people, all the children of Israel, 7,000. So they went out at noon. So we're seeing Ahab walk in obedience, right, um, which is important. And he took the necessary steps. Number one, he gathered the army. Number two, he actually got on the battlefield. So he's doing what he should be doing. So meanwhile, Ben-Hadad and the 32 kings helping, um, helping him were getting drunk at the command post. Then the young leaders of the provinces went out first. And Ben-Hadad sent out a patrol, and they told him, saying, men are coming out of Samaria. So he said, if they have come out for peace, take them alive. And if they come out for war, take them alive. Um, then these young leaders of the provinces, which is Ahab's army, went out of the city with the army which followed them. And each one killed his man. So the Syrians fled. And Israel pursued them. And Ben-Hadad, the king of uh, Syria, escaped on a horse with the cavalry. Um, cavalry. Then the king of Israel went out and attacked uh, the horses and the chariots and killed the Syrians with a great slaughter. So we see the fulfillment of God's prophecy to Ahab, which is amazing. We know obedience to God's word brings blessing. And remember, if we looked at the book of Haggai, remember that, where... Nothing was coming to fruition. Nothing was happening with them. And God said to him, hey, if you turn to me, I'll be your God. You will be my people. All they did was turn, and he stirred their spirits to do the work he was calling them to do, to rebuild the temple. It wasn't by their might. It wasn't by their powers. By his spirit. This is, I, I hope there's a theme that you guys get, and I think it's probably every time I talk, but this is not us doing it. It's not us crawling on our knees. It's God's spirit within us who is doing this work. He's the one. He's going to be the one to give you the desire to give up that thing that you're holding on to that's in your mind right now that you're thinking about, whoever you are. He is the one that's saying, these are the boundaries that need to be expanded that you've relinquished to the enemy. He is the one that's going to give you the desire. Oftentimes they're saying, Lord, I know I need to do this. Please give me the desire to do it and walk in it. He is the one that's going to do that work. So verse 22, the prophet came to the king, Ahab, of Israel and, and said to him, go strengthen yourself, take note, and see what you should do. For in the spring, the king, uh, in the year, sorry, for in the spring of the year, the king of Syria will come up against you. So, great, you had a victory, but we're not done. While we still have breath in our lungs, we're not done, right? So, here's some things we want to understand about the enemy and the intent of sin. And I'm just going to give you scriptures. I'm going to blow through them, so hang on. We know this one, First Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a luring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Think of what that, ver- that word devour means. He doesn't want to nibble us. He doesn't want to pinch us. He wants to devour us. This is why it's so important to see sin in its true light and the way it really is. That's why it's not, oh, it's just a, a, a little white lie. That's not why these things that we can play around with that we're so casual about what God says don't have any part of. Genesis 4, 6 and 7, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Sin is waiting to just de- to devour us at every moment 
As soon as our guard is down, the enemy is looking to just jump right in there. Hebrews 12.1 says, So lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. Ephesians 5.11, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And sometimes that's hard. And sometimes that's hard for us to do to those we love. Well, I want to be sensitive. I don't want them to think I'm judgmental. I don't want to... Sometimes we need to say, you are walking in sin. If our hearts already turn toward love, though, I mean, they're probably not going to like it. But if they understand that our heart is not to tear down, but to build up, when we say negative things, it oftentimes will be taken better. I've told you guys before, with my, my team at work, and I've always been this way, I sometimes have to say hard things to them, but they know my heart's not to tear them down. It's to make them better. So sometimes I have to say really difficult things for them to, um, to hear it. You know, I, I don't, I'm not good with beating around the bush and sugarcoating things, and probably I, there, I need to have some tact. I know that. But um, I, don't often, I don't find value with passive-aggressive. I don't think anything benefits from that. You know, and I appreciate the men in my life who have said, Bill, you're being a jerk or you're being whatever. Um, Bill, you're being such an awesome guy. No, they never really said that. First um, <laughs> Corinthians 5, 6 and 7, he says, A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Therefore, purge out the old leaven. A little leaven, a little sin is going to affect everything. Matthew 12, 22 through 30. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in there he says, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Do you realize if you're flirting with sin, you basically are playing to both sides of the field? Whose camp are you in? Well, obviously God, I'm in church. I'm, no, but then why, why would this even be this leaven? Why would this sin even be in your life? Why would it even be there? I'm not saying we're perfect. No one is perfect. We all have sin. But my encouragement to you guys is to really look at the things that are beyond the the surface level. There's things that are holding us back. If you're struggling, you're not getting answers to prayer. If you're feeling like there's there's illness that is holding you back, yeah, there are things that there's there's purpose for, but spiritually there's reasons behind that. You know? Not all of us have grown up with that mentality of that that would be something there, but you know, I believe I was sick for a long time and it had to do with spiritual things. So that's something I would encourage you with. Romans six, sixteen says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves as slaves you obey? You are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. In his book, um, Finally Free, Fighting for Purity with the Power of Grace, Heath Lambert said this, If you want the life God offers, you will have to get serious about resisting your sin. You will have to be aggressive. You will have to be radical. Amputation is not easy. It is extraordinarily painful and carries with it a sense of loss. But the reward is far better than the alternative. The battle begins in your heart. Sin stands in direct opposition of obedience to God. That's why you need to understand sin's intent for you. That's why you also need to understand your rightful place in God as he's assigned you. He has, he has put you in your position as who you are in your family, in your home, in your workplace, wherever you are, 
for a specific purpose, and he's assigned you there. He's assigned you there, and, and not just to be a Christian who goes through the motions, but as a victorious child of God for a purpose, for a reason. He said, you were once in darkness in Ephesians 5, but now you are in the light to walk as children of light. Finding out what is acceptable. That's what we're talking about. Lord, reveal to me. Show me these things. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by light, for whatever makes manifest is light. So without this understanding, without the understanding of the, the complete redemptive work of Christ on the cross, and without having the utter hatred for sin that nailed him there, you'll never get to this place. And then you'll never have that peace. And you won't have that deep relationship. And we keep talking about you won't have that revival. Understand you need to hate sin. And I know we can all shake our heads and say amen, but I don't think we all do. I know I haven't. I think there's things in my life that I probably still don't hate enough. And I don't want to be put in my life to, to, to go through something to hate it, you know? There's certain things in my life that I had to go through that now I hate. And I'm sad that I had to, but that's what the Lord did. That's what the Lord allowed. He didn't do it. It was my actions. So, battle plan. So the battle plan is this. Ephesians five fourteen through 20. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who are asleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dispensation, dissipation, sorry, but be filled, be ye filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be ye being filled. We always talk about that. It's a continual process. Lord, continue to fill me. Continue to fill me. It's not a one and done thing. You also need to put the armor on. Ephesians 6, 11 through 13. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of the wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. If we do these things, and I, I do go through where I literally will pray those things, those pieces of armor on me, then Romans eight thirty seven, you are conquerors. You are more than conquerors through him who loved us above all. Um. I don't think we all understand that we've already won. And I think that's an important position to understand. Andrew Murray says it this way, how do we attain surrender? It all depends on our right relationship to Christ. Our entire surrender, perfect faith, and unbroken fellowship with him. So that's, that sounds pretty easy, right? <laughs> so I'm going to stop here because I know that we, you know, I've gone very long. But it's important to see that sadly, if you read the rest of the chapter, Ahab compromises and he get, becomes condemned and his life, we see him kind of go like this. So he has this victory. He was obedient to God. He compromises. Um, the Lord condemns him. He comes back to a certain level of repentance. God says, okay, instead of taking you out and taking out your everybody, you know, I will only take out 
after you are out of out of this position that I've put you in. Um, but this compromise and this uh, this this compromise that Ahab allowed himself in, he saw the hand of God work. He saw God moving in a miraculous way. But then he still gave in to compromise. He still gave in to sin. He still gave in to the enemy. And he was willing to compromise himself, his family, his kingdom that had that ripple effect. That it, it, it is sad that this didn't, wasn't a spot for him to be able to grow in the grace of the knowledge of God and to grow as, as, as change the story about Ahab that we read today. I think with all the verses I gave you, and I think all of them are good, and I could probably give you about 10 million more. Um, but I think one of the things that we need to look at, are we, which, which crippled man are we? Which man with the, the issues are we? Are we the one with excuses? Are we the one with, who, who's seeking after God for, for healing? Are we living with ugly, oozing sin wounds? You know, are we playing around with sin that we shouldn't be? Um, or are you sitting here, do you want to take the radical steps to remove sin? It's already been done. It's already been done for us. But do we want to take those radical steps to make sure those things are not in our lives? Um, and I think the easiest, you know, the easiest, even though there's so much complexity behind it, is Matthew 6.33, right? I mean, it's seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. It can't happen if you're not seeking. We know throughout, he says, seek and you'll find me. Continue to seek, continue to knock. That's the heart of our God. To keep coming, to keep going, and to um, chase after him like you've never chased after anything before. So I real quick, I want to have just a quick prayer time. um, And I want to give opportunity for anybody who desires to have prayer for these things. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to ask Hercules to come up and Abby to come up. So any of the women who want prayer from Abby or the men from Hercules. And just if you desire, you know, you don't have to make it a confessional, but you can if you want. But just as we're going to be worshiping, just have somebody to pray over you and, and say, you know, what? I've got things. I just, I want the desire to release them. Or I just want to live in victory or, or whatever. It doesn't have to be limited to that. But I, I want this to be that time, this forum, where if you desire to be prayed over for any of these things in your life, then we're going to have people up here come up and, and pray while we'll do, um, let's do some worship and close it out. So why don't we pray? Lord, it's amazing um, that you know us in such a way that we don't even have to verbalize things. Lord, you hear the stirring of the heart and of the spirit. Lord, you know our wiring. Lord, you know the workings. Lord, you know those who are intently listening and those, Lord, that the enemy might be distracting. Lord, but we know that your desire is to have fellowship with us, Lord. And Lord, we know to have that fellowship, there can't be anything in the way. Lord, to have that pure fellowship, to be able to hear your voice. So Lord, I pray this time and and for us here, Lord, that Lord, our hearts would be changed, Lord, for you. 
Lord, that there's any, anything that's prohibiting that relationship, Lord. Maybe it's a major issue. Maybe it's a major sin that needs to be removed. Lord. Or maybe it's a bunch of little annoying gnats that are swarming around us, Lord. Whatever it is, Lord, that we pray that, Lord, this would be a body and a family, Lord, that is lifting one another up. Nobody's pretending to be more spiritual than they are. Lord, nobody's pretending to, um, to be righteous, Lord. We know that it all comes from you, Lord. So I pray that this would be a time, Lord, that, and even if somebody doesn't come up to get prayed for, Lord, as they're sitting in their seats, Lord, that this would be a time of refreshing, Lord, a time of revival, Lord, a time of just your hand just moving in our lives in a way where the enemy is not hindering, Lord, that right now that you're breaking strongholds in people's lives, that they are having a hard time letting go of that one thing. Lord, that you would break that, that you would give them the desire, Lord, that they would have for you greater than these things, these creature comforts, Lord, these things of this world, Lord. Lord, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you, they would be broken in our lives, Lord, that we would bring you greater honor, greater glory, that we would know your peace that surpasses all understanding, Lord, that you would have your way in us. So, Lord, we, we pray, Lord, and if we're those, I would encourage you guys, if you're not coming up to pray, that you would be praying for anybody, Lord, that this message was, was for somebody, Lord, here today, Lord, that you would draw their heart, Lord, that we would be faithful brothers and sisters sitting here praying that your work would be done.